0: So finally, uh, we have Anansha Lamyan on our YouTube channel. Anansha is a really, really wonderful writer. She's uh, the top Indian writer on medium.com as of now. Uh, she's also pursuing her PhD from IIT. That's kind of an Ivy League Indian college. And she teaches writers how to make money without sending invoices and chasing clients. So thank you so much for coming here.
1: Hi Dipanshu, thank you so much for having me, it's my pleasure.
0: Okay, so uh, let's dive right into it. 2020 has been a little crazy year for everyone. (laughs) How did it make you uh, change things that you wouldn't change otherwise?
1: Okay, so that's a very tough question (laughs) right at the beginning. So yeah, 2020 was pretty crazy, but what it did was it gave me a lot of time, time to focus on my writing. Earlier, I didn't have much time. I got barely like one hour each day and you can't write with so much stress. But with everything shut down, with the work from home situation going on, I got time to write a lot and I got time to explore different forms of writing. I started writing on Medium and I started uh, also making. Uh videos for youtube and it was very interesting because i also i not only connected to uh, many readers uh, all over the world i also learned several things about myself that if i have time and if i have uh, the opportunity i can actually do it i can actually uh, be persistent and write something every day and i enjoy the process i don't feel pressurized earlier i used to think that maybe writing every day would be very tough But now I really enjoy it. It's so much fun. And I don't think it would have been possible if 2020 would not have happened. So that is, I think, my version of what I took from this year.
0: Yeah. So, uh, yes, I belong to the same category of privileged people whom 2020 uh, impacted in a positive way. And I believe, you know, we belong to a really, really privileged class because I have seen so many people losing their jobs or, you know, quitting, uh, have to quit their job, because of, you know, a toxic workplace culture, I belong to that place, and not having any savings, or, you know, being in a really tough situation this year. A lot of people have also, you know, lost their loved ones. But yeah, nonetheless, you know, uh, sometimes you also have to see what's positive turning in your own life. Right? So, uh, Thank you for sharing, you know, like how this helped uh, you personally that, you know, you saw some more time that you invested in writing and stuff. So you started investing more time in your writing, exploring more opportunities in writing. How uh, or, you know, like what were your thoughts about creativity before 2020 and how, you know, like what are your thoughts now about creativity or writing in journals?
1: Okay, so before 2020, because I was so caught up in work and other commitments, I thought that, uh, I, think, I, I think you have seen it, there is a very famous Calvin and Hobbes comic that goes like this, that creativity is not a faucet, you cannot turn it on at will, you have to wait for inspiration to come. That is something I used to think before, because I really have, I, first, uh, I had too much on my mind and I couldn't uh, do something creative every day. But with 2020, I learned that it is actually possible to train your creativity to actually, you know, uh, like James Alt- Altucher calls it, become an idea machine and have lot of amazing ideas and actually work on them. Earlier on, I used to think that creativity, you need a lot of inspiration. You need to wait for that spark of inspiration. But now I know that it is actually possible to have ideas and write something new every day and you don't even feel exhausted. That is the biggest part, I think. Yeah, so, you know, that kind of
0: matches what I read today. I read this quote today that whatever or whoever you are trying to become is a habit. So Mm -hmm. if you are trying to become a creative person, it's a habit to, you know, practice creativity every day. If you are trying to become an entrepreneur, it's a habit to seek new ideas or work on your skills every day. So, yeah, that's interesting. And uh, from your uh, point, how did you find James Altucher? From where did you find Uh, him?
1: I think you only recommended me his book, uh, Choose Yourself. Because earlier on, I had read James Altucher's blogs, but I didn't read his books. But uh, in our Instagram uh, live, you recommended me James Altucher's book. And it was such a, you know, heartfelt recommendation that i felt i needed to read this book and i think i read it i downloaded the book immediately after we talked there was some offer going on on amazon so i just got it uh, very quickly and it was really nice like, that book sort of changed my whole career like the career trajectory <laughs> amazing I, I
0: obviously you know like uh Of course, I kind of forgot that, you know, like you started reading uh, him from me. I, uh, you know, discovered him from his Quora Answers. And he, you know, used to write such so many long answers almost every other day, right? Mm -hmm. And yes, when I read his book, Choose Yourself and uh, Rediscover... What was it? Reinvent Yourself. So those two books are totally, you know, like they change your mindset. Uh, What specifically... Uh, so you mentioned that his 10 ideas every day, that advice changed, you know, a lot of things for you. What else, you know, uh, did you learn from him?
1: Okay, so from choose yourself, I learned this thing that uh, he, he has a very unique way of looking at rejection, right? Like if you are rejected, you, you don't have to uh, give up, you have to change up. Change up as in you have to either change your content or improve it or you have to change your approach. Maybe you are sending them emails, but actually you can tweet them and it might open up new ways for you. And you have to get feedback from people who are at a similar level as you. And then you can use that feedback to improve your work. That's something very inspiring that I learned from Choose Yourself. And I haven't read Reinvent Yourself, but I have read uh, Think Like a Billionaire. which is is also by James Altucher. It's a collection of his podcasts that that he had with several billionaires. From there, I learned the importance of failure. So uh, Sarah Blakely, in her interview with Altucher, she talks of this thing that, uh, apart from a gratitude journal, she also keeps a failure journal. And there she writes what is something that I failed in today. And according to her, it's very important to fail in something because if you fail, it means you are trying something new. And it's so important to keep trying something new. Otherwise, you'll feel stagnant in life. You'll feel like there is no you are growing anywhere and you will feel frustrated with all the stats that you're seeing every day. So that was something very inspiring that I learned and I have tried to incorporate in my life also to try and fail in something and treat that as a lesson.
0: Uh, so... Uh... It's interesting that you mentioned about the failure journal because I have had a kind of a different experience towards this. Uh, Since the, you know, very beginning of my career or, you know, like when I was a child and everything, I have been programmed to, you know, like try out a lot of things. When you try out a lot of things, you are going to obviously get, you know, failures in a lot of things. So I am otherwise, you know, kind of okay getting a lot of failures. But uh, one of my coach uh, recommended me to have a celebration journal every day or an acknowledgement journal every day. So, you know, like, again, different uh, requirements from di- for different people, right? So uh, that's what I did for a month or so. Bhavna Singh, she's a mind coach. So she recommended me this thing, I guess, July 2020 to write down, you know, three things that I congratulate myself for doing today, you know, writing it by the end of the day. So I was going through, you know, like my career shift. So I was feeling a little anxious and nervous throughout the days. So writing down as little as that, you know what, uh, I woke up today and I followed up with five of my, uh, you know, prospects, let's say, or I woke up today and I posted once on social media. Or I woke up today and I returned all of the calls that I received yesterday. So these three used to be, you know, like for a day, these three could be a really great point of celebration. So a celebration journal could also be, you know, like a different uh, requirement. If you are someone who, you know, really is a, how do you say it? Who is a high performer who, you know, kind of ignores the little things they do. And, you know, who are really focused with a, lo- a lot of big things that they are achieving.
1: Absolutely. I actually sort of practice something similar. I don't call it a celebration journal. I call it a good news journal. It's like some something. It's not good news you got, but it's a good news that you are giving to yourself that you did this. It's the same concept. It's like small achievements, counting the small achievements and writing them down. So you don't feel the day was entirely waste. Even if you didn't do anything. Even counting the small achievements can make you feel better, right?
0: So uh, I believe this is a concept of, you know, like writing your own reminders, writing the things you would like to remind yourself. So I have done this with a few of my clients where I ask them to, you know, uh, if you're trying something new, you know, make a check, like only for three, four lines, write down why you are doing this. So let's say, you know, uh, you are going to... uh, you are uh, you're going to practice a better work-life pressure or you know work-life balance. So you need to stop your screen time at 11 p.m. Let's say. So you know you write down a chat or you know like you put up a reminder on your phone, and the reminder is with four or five lines. Dipanshu, you need to you know stop your you stop watching your screens after 11 p.m. and that reminder will ring at 10:30, so I have the time to prepare. And I have three lines mentioned that, okay, I'm doing this because I want to feel more energetic when I wake up. And I want to wake up at, you know, six, let's say. And I have yoga classes at seven or whatever your reasons are. So, I guess your failure journal, your celebration journal are kind of a way to uh, put up self reminders in written form. What do you say about that?
1: That makes total sense, yeah. Because we tend to forget all these things and Having them, re- write, writing them down can improve it a lot, right? Your mood and the way you react to these small changes it can be improved a lot if you write them down. So, yeah, it's yes. a reminder to yourself.
0: Exactly. So, uh, you are going through a kind of a career change, probably, or it's going to happen, you know, like in a few months or a few weeks. Yes. Tell Tell us a little bit about it.
1: Okay, so that is the thing actually it's a shift in career uh because i'm educated as an engineer i've never had a writing course but now i'm going to you know like explore this path of being a full-time writer and see how it goes so that's the big career shift that's going to happen in a say few weeks hopefully or a few months
0: yeah and uh When was, uh, so did you think about it before 2020?
1: Yeah, I thought about it a lot. Like I think the first time I thought, like first time I was sure I would do it was in November uh, 2020. I didn't think it before 2020. It was like uh, I had this idea that someday I want to be a full-time writer, but that someday I didn't know when it would come. But 2020 gave me that uh, courage, that Uh, audacity to hope that maybe like I can do it soon and I think in September 2020 when it was in September when I uh, made a significant amount of money from my writing and then I decided that if I can keep this up for six months maybe I'll be in a position to quit but since September the earnings have increased and they have given me even more hope So now I'm in the position where I can actually look forward to this as a full-time career and not just a side hobby. So yeah, that's, that's what like 2020 has been a gift to me in that way.
0: Yeah. So uh, I have seen you grow from, you know, like $40 a month in January, 2020 and going to, you know, like $1,500 a month in January, 2021. Uh, So that's kind of, I don't know mathematically, but it's a really great jump from $40 monthly to $1,500 monthly.
1: It was actually like 5 or $6, I think, in January 2020. So, not even
0: oh. 40 Oh, I see. And, you know, uh, yeah. like $1,500 monthly in India is a really great amount of money, no matter where you live. Right? Uh, how? So, <laughs> I kind of <laughs> went a little side by so uh, yeah, when were you sure that you know what this is the time maybe you need to start looking for a career change or you want to look out for more opportunities? You mentioned it in September or November.
1: September. In September I was. I in September I made like uh, it was above above one thousand dollars. So that is like more than my uh, salary. So I thought that yeah, if I can keep up this one thousand dollars streak. For six months, I'll quit. Uh, then in November, I had a uh, coaching call, you can say with uh, coach Tony from coach.me. And uh, he only gave me this perspective that uh, more than the money, that state of flow is important. If you can feel fulfillment from what you're doing, and you, you need a career is something you are spending all of your time in, right? Like most of your time in. And if you can't get that fulfillment from your work, what is the point of working even if it gives you a lot of money? That was in November. And that was the first time I had this uh, light bulb moment that actually when I write, I can get that state of flow, even if I don't have any mood to write. But if I just sit and write for like 200 words, that state of flow comes to me naturally, But when I'm doing other things, that rarely happens. So maybe it happens in like once in every few months. But for writing, I can say it happens like almost every day if I try really hard. So that was when I realized that for me, maybe writing is my uh, true calling. And that was when I decided that, yeah, I need to take a switch. And from November to now, it has taken a long time because there were several other limiting beliefs also. But hopefully soon I'll be able to finally take the step
0: I understand. Now, the thing is, now that you're, you know, like you're almost on the verge of, you know, like switching your career, maybe like you mentioned in a few weeks or a few months, you must have received a lot of advice. Both good and bad advices. (laughs) What is the (laughs) really, really bad advice that you received, you know, when you talk about switching your careers?
1: (laughs) So the most common the frequent everyone tells me the same thing and which I don't really believe is true is that uh, don't quit your job at least finish your PhD and then you can quit your job and then I it actually that makes sense from their perspective because if I finish my PhD I'll have that doctor in front of my name which is a very prestigious thing in India right especially from an IIT but the thing is that if I want to make the career switch the degree is not really important to me. If I really want to be a writer, I can do it with or without the doctor tag. And if I want, and life is not, it's not finishing, right? I can continue it later on. Maybe I can do a PhD in something related to literature or creativity later on. It's not like if I give up now, it is my last chance to get a PhD. I can do it again sometime in the future if I feel like it. So, yeah, that is the most common advice that people have given me that just wait for three years and then you can quit. But I don't know what will happen to me in three years. Or I might have some other commitments or I might have difficulties in this career path and I might feel that maybe I'll never be a writer. So why should I right now I have this whole traction and I have this whole burst of inspiration. I don't want to waste it because if I do I fear that I might regret later on that I had the chance of quitting but I didn't and now I'm stuck so I don't want to live with regrets that is the biggest thing
0: yeah and you know like you mentioned there's this term of whatever you're speaking around that there is a huge opportunity cost for you know Mm -hmm. like not changing and I guess that's enough (laughs) therapy for you about career shift (laughs) So uh, I, I uh, we talked a lot about how I can improve my writing because, right, like I mentioned, you are such an amazing writer. Uh, there's one particular point that helped me a lot in in improving my writing, and I know where it, it is going. So, uh, how do you build your empathy muscle? How do you you know create more empathy in your writing? Because I see my writing, you know, before meeting you and after meeting you, you know, after getting that particular advice from you. It's, it's, you know, like day and night. So how does someone do that?
1: See, as humans, we are capable of feeling a lot of a huge range of emotions, right? But when we are presenting them to other people, we always get conscious that how much of ourselves should we show Even when having conversations, if we feel really deeply about something, we just tone it down and we give them a very censored version, a very polished version of our actual feelings. That's what usually most people do because we are so afraid of sharing what we really think. But uh, writing is, see, if you are more honest in your writing, it is, uh, it shows, it reflects in your words and people can connect to it. So Neil Gaiman calls this like, you know, he calls this that it's equivalent to being naked in front of an audience. Because you are so honest, you are so raw in your emotions. So if you ask how to build your empathy muscles, it's that you just remove all filters. You forget that somebody is going to read this. You forget that somebody is going to judge you based on this. You just write what you really truly feel Later on, if it's really controversial or something that's really unconventional, maybe you can remove it or if it hampers your privacy in some way, you can remove that. But at least in the first draft, you should pour your heart out. It should be so honest that it makes you cry. That is the only way you can connect with your readers on a deep level because it has happened to me a lot. I write something, I get so involved in it that I start crying and I realize I cannot publish this because it's too personal. That's when I disguise it as, as fiction and I publish it as fiction because that way I have that plausible deniability that it's not my story. But yeah, but if you write it in that way, then people can actually connect to your words. And it takes a lot of time and practice, but slowly step by step, maybe you can try and be as honest and as raw as possible in your words.
0: Uh, so i i have something to add here if it's okay uh, first of all i want to acknowledge that uh, one line that you mentioned it needs to be so emotional that you cry when you read it or you know when you listen to that video or whatever uh, so i believe there's there are two degrees uh, you know one is your honesty in the writing and second second is your raw behavior in the writing you know your raw nature I developed the honesty in writing, or I started developing the honesty in my writing. I guess two years ago, two three years ago, Uh, I did an interesting uh, activity, like for a month or so. Uh, I started writing every day one lie that I tell myself that day. So, for example, a lie could be, you know, what uh, it's six a.m. You want to go to gym, but it's fog outside, and you know, like it's. Uh, your bed is more comfortable but that's a lie <laughs> that <laughs> nothing is going to happen it's it just you know matter of five minutes of resistance so that was the first lie that i wrote you know this is the lie i told myself this is why i did not go to gym because i was lazy and you know i wanted to sleep more i wanted to have that cozy feeling of my blanket <laughs> so i uh, how do you what do you think about this uh, activity
1: I think it's a great way, not just to improve your writing, but to know yourself better and get past your excuses. It can help you become a better person, right? If you know, if you identify your excuses and you know how you can move past them, it can definitely help you become a better person. And I think we have talked about this a lot, that if you be a better person, you can obviously be a better writer. So it reflects in your writing also.
0: Yes, yes. And I guess I have written about it recently, like, you know, if you want to be a better person, uh, if you want to be a better writer, better artist, better entrepreneur, the very first step is to become a better person. Uh, Thank you for sharing that. Uh, Now I I want to come to uh, this. So I have written a couple of topics that I wanted to talk about. Obviously, I wanted uh, to keep all this candid. So I did not send you any questions and I did not write any questions myself as well but I have a couple of topics that I really believe you are the person who can you know answer and talk more about so uh, with you with Shreya Badonia uh, with a couple of coach taught me coaches I have seen that a lot of my growth occurred when I built my you know tribe of people who are not going to buy my product Who are not going to take my services, but who are doing what I am doing on some level and who are going to, you know, like just inspire me to continue and, you know, like try out new things and look beyond the normal uh, preconceived notions. I believe that that's what happened to you as well in last year, that your network, particularly of like-minded people grew. Talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, that's very true. I mean, if you are surrounded by people who have similar goals, then it is very easy for you to move and move ahead. You know, like even uh, we were talking about James Altucher, right? So he has a concept of, he calls it find your equal. So equal means people who are at the same level of... Uh, growth as you are currently similar level of growth and whatever your goals are their goals are also something similar and you can help each other in like you know not necessarily help each other by buying products but help each other by sharing your thoughts and inspiring them and then if you have some issues you can talk with them and it's like a group of motivated individuals who are motivating each other. And it's natural that sometimes you feel very lost and then you can come to your tribe, your group and talk to them and they can help you. They can reassure you. And together you can even go further than you could have gone alone. So yeah, I believe it's very important. I also have the same group with you and Shreya and uh, a few of my writers on Medium. We have a group where we discuss a lot of our troubles and we also share, like even we have that uh, Uh, sort of you know group where we discuss problems right like i'm facing this issue what should i do so it's all it's not possible that everyone is facing the same issue at the same time right so people can offer you a few words of inspiration and that goes a long way in changing your mood and inspiring you to create more so i think yeah that's very important what are your thoughts about this about this group thing
0: yeah, so uh, it's really interesting what you mentioned, and I would want to, you know, just put it into a quote that I have read somewhere that if you want to go fast, go alone, but if you want to go f- further, go with someone. You know, if you want to go along. So again, if you want to take a sprint, if you want to go fast, do go alone. That's going to help you a lot. But if you want to move in a long direction, you know, move a long way. Uh, going with someone really helps. And the point that you mentioned, you know, that James Altucher really uh, talks about, uh, so that's plus, minus and equal, right? And I kind of found a source of it. So it's mentioned in, I guess, Ego is the Anime book by Ryan Holiday. And there was a gym trainer, I guess, or a basketball coach who has this, you know, uh, formula. You know, having a plus, having a minus, and having a equal. A plus is someone, you know, uh, who teaches you. Yeah. So it could be your coach. It could be, you know, a dead person. Okay. Uh, you know, from your books and videos and everything. Uh, a minus will be someone who you teach different things. So it could be your students, your coach, you know, your coachee, your mentees, or it could be your interns, Right. Uh, and then there is, there are equals who are not necessarily in the same field, but, you know, like you have a journey where you are a writer and you're earning money from writing. I'm a coach and I'm, you know, like using my writing to express myself and, you know, have more people, build a readership and an audience. So we are almost a lot in a different field, but there are times when, you know, I, I, send you some articles that, uh, you know, like, help me improve them. Help me, how can I make it more connecting? I remember we had this discussion a few weeks ago, that how can I make it more, you know, connecting? Do you feel this is authentic enough and all that stuff? And then I also see you coming to me, you know, passing your ideas by me, okay, you know, like, I'm thinking about this, how can this go or what are your ideas about this? And, uh, like, or, you know, at times, It's not even that we have to ask each other. It's just that, you know, we recommend each each other that, you know what, you should try this. I do that a lot because, you know, it's like my personal thing. I really love giving advice to people or, you know, suggesting and recommending stuff. So I have done a lot uh, of recommendations to you (laughs) that, you know, maybe you should follow this. Maybe you should try this. And I remember you also doing, you know, sharing stuff with me. So having equals was one of the most uh, underappreciated thing that I felt I have seen in my career
1: so far. That's very right. true. I totally like 100% agree with that. And also yeah. another yeah. point to add is that having this group, uh, it makes, if you don't have anyone who's on the same journey, that feeling of envy might be natural. That you might feel that this person is doing so good. Why am I not doing good? And you might feel jealous of them. But when you are in a group together, it's like a community. And you know that they also have the similar struggles as you do. And they also face the same hurdles as you do. And it helps you make friends also. It helps you get rid of those negative feelings of envy and jealousy. And it makes you more empathetic. So I think that's a win-win for everyone.
0: Yes, that's true. And we talked about the equals. Uh, Let's talk about plus and minus two. Uh, who are the plus in your life who are the people who teach you to do stuff or you know
1: so I mean I have a lot of people who I look up to a lot of inspirations both in the writer world and in the entrepreneur world so it's not like you know currently if you ask me who is that one person who I look up to I wouldn't find one because even I am not sure where I want to be in five years I mean I might want to be a writer I might want to be a novelist maybe a podcast host I'm not sure where I'll be so there are a lot of people who inspire me like I read something a blog post I get inspired and I read a book I get inspired by that or I watch a TED talk I feel uh, inspired by that so I have a whole list of people who I find inspiring and you know who uh, always make me want to be better so a lot of them
0: give me a few names
1: Uh, Again, that's a very difficult question. You
0: know, I, uh, most of my... Can I uh... I help you, you know, categorize those people? So give me uh, two or three names in the writing world, you know, who you look up to. Give two or three names in the entrepreneur world or, you know, the coaching world or something. So maybe you can categorize this way.
1: Okay, so in the writing world, again, there is two different fields: read online writing and novels. So if you ask me about novels, I want to like my biggest inspirations would be Salman Rushdie and Arundhati Roy. The reason is that they write so good. That is the biggest reason. Second is that they are popular plus well known. And third is that they are also rich. So that is where I want to be. I don't want my work to be criticized by people that she writes so bad and she's still rich. I want it to be a combination of the three Uh, critically acclaimed, popular, that is easily accessible by people, and also that earns money. So that is
0: really interesting.
1: Yeah, something in the novelist world. In the online writing world, I think I keep talking about this, but I am super, super inspired by Nicholas Cole. I love his writing, writing style, the way he approaches online writing, the way he treats each platform differently, like Twitter, LinkedIn, or Medium, Quora. I'm really inspired by the way he creates content. And apart from that, there are so many Medium writers, like... uh, Tim Denning, everyone knows of Tim Denning. Everyone is inspired by Tim Denning. Then yeah. IODG Awosika is there. Uh, Sinem Gunel is there. So many people are there who are inspiring on in the field of online writing. So a lot. And obviously uh, the biggest idol of them was James Altucher and uh, Mark yeah. Manson. They are also doing so good in different forms. So a lot of them.
0: Amazing, amazing. And about, uh, if we talk about the minors, you know, the people whom you are going to teach and, you know, whom you are going to coach and all that stuff. And I know that uh, you started your Project Medium course, your coaching course, everything combined. Uh, How long has it been? Four months?
1: Yeah, it has been three months, December. Uh, Two and a half months, you can say.
0: Oh, okay. So that was the beta part before that. Yeah. (laughs)
1: So So, I have three uh, batches of students currently. So yeah,
0: three months, you can say. Okay. And uh, how has it been? Because uh, you are a teacher in your day job, right? And uh, now you are doing something on your own where, you know, you are teaching people on your own without any, uh, you know, guidelines that came from somebody else or the course structure that came from someone else. You are the, you know, only creator of this course or whatever
1: you have created how is that a feeling to you i think it's very rewarding uh, first of all the biggest thing is that in my course when i teach people they are actually genuinely interested to learn But when it comes to college, I think all of us can relate to this feeling that as students, nobody's really interested in the class, right? And even when I was a student, I used to just wait for it to be over. And then I would be thinking what I will do after the class. But when it's in a course, it's like people are genuinely interested in what I'm saying. And it feels very, and for me, I think that this is completely normal. Like what I'm teaching is maybe common knowledge. But to them, it feels like they tell me that it's valuable and they take notes. And this feels very different for me because I'm pretty new to this platform and I'm still overwhelmed every time someone tells me that they learn something new. So that is one. And like you said, designing the course and everything, that autonomy is there and I love it because if I want, I can make changes. And I think online writing or media, it's not something that's going to be fixed. There are going to be changes. The platform keeps evol- evolving. The algorithm is changing. So every day there is something new. Maybe every week there is something new that I learned. And I keep yeah. incorporating that in my course also. like uh, I have recorded videos, but I keep releasing new videos every few weeks when I learn something interesting so that the people who were in the earlier batches, they don't feel left out by these new additions. And also, like I also do these group calls. So we discuss all these brain we have these brainstorming sessions with my students and uh, all these new changes so it's a very interesting process the course is still a work in progress but it's a lot of fun for me and i hope it's for the students also because so far the feedback has been good so
0: it's always it will probably be a work in progress almost always if i think yeah, that way true. so uh, what uh, so now that you have a taste of formal education a taste of you know like learning from an expert on their own terms right what do you think uh how will you you know like let's say you have kids after 10 years 20 years (laughs) what will you advise them
1: okay that's again a difficult question i don't know what i will advise them but the thing is that with formal education people treat it like a job right uh it's like they can ready for it and they will teach you it doesn't matter if you learn or you don't but when it comes to online courses the person from whom you are learning you have paid them some amount and they are also it's not that they have earned the money it's over for them they they also see their students as investments right they invest their time they invest their effort in the students and in return the students invest their money so it's like a journey where both the parties have to gain from each other And if the students do well, the coaches or the mentors, they will also feel good, right? Because they will have the, first of all, they'll have word of mouth promotion. Secondly, they will have good testimonials and they can show these results to other students. And also, I don't think any coach will ever feel good if somebody paid them a lot of money and they were not able to deliver something good in return. Maybe not an equal amount of money, but at least some life-changing values or Something that is making them improve their life, so I think this form of education is much better because there is a lot of accountability in this, and there is a lot of yeah. scope to learn and improve.
0: I agree to that, and uh, the way you put it, it will be really interesting to see where the education will go in the next five years because uh, twenty twenty has you know uh, make our made our uh, educations online, right? So let's see where it goes in the next three to five years. And uh, we we'll talked talk a little bit about our privileges. And uh, so this is the only topic that I mentioned, you know, before recording this call that I am going to ask you and talk about this because this is a topic I know almost nothing about. And I have seen you posting, you know, some things about this topic. And I'm just curious and I want to know more about it. Uh, before going into that topic, I also uh, want to acknowledge that I come from a relatively rural background, you know, like, uh, where technological advancements came a little later than the metro cities. So I have, I probably still have a lot of preconceived notions about, you know, how traditionally things should be, right. So I try my best not to judge, I will try my best, you know, to be more accepting and compassionate and curious. And I believe, that's how you will be less judgmental if you are more curious. So uh, tell me a little bit about non-binary, non-binary genders.
1: Okay. So first of all, uh, I mean, I probably am not the right person to ask about this because I don't have much experience. I don't have any experience. Only experience I have to non-binary people is through social media or through books. So Uh, basically, the thing that what I understand is that gender is a very, uh, it's a very old traditional notion, right? So whenever a child is born, you look at their, uh, uh, you look at their organs, right, sex organs, and you give them a gender that this is a boy, and this is a girl. And then all through their life you train them in a certain way that the boy is her, supposed to behave in this way he's supposed to be manly he cannot play with kitchen utensils he has to play cricket and he has to wear pants he cannot wear makeup and when if it's a girl it's like yeah she's a girl so she has to be soft she has to be feminine She has to wear fluid dresses skirts and frocks she can't play with boys she has to have long hair and it's encouraged that she paints her nails and wears makeup and all those things. So because we hold so much importance to gender, all these things like clothes, makeup, shoes, games, uh, social activities, these things don't have gender. But we sort of assign a gender to them. Like wearing a shirt or pants is considered to be manly. And wearing a sari or a skirt is considered to be feminine. Whereas the clothes don't have gender, people do. So we are so consumed by this notion of gender that we always assume that a man should dress in a particular way and a woman should dress in a particular way. So That is the whole uh, traditional notion of gender. But there are so many people who don't conform to either gender. Like I have, I follow a few uh, people on social media who call themselves gender fluid. Gender fluid means they don't conform to any gender. They don't identify as a man or a woman. That is why that pronoun they slash them is there, right? Because they don't feel that the definition as a man or a definition as a woman is enough, is sufficient to encompass who they are as a person. That is the whole concept of gender fluid, right? And then I recently read a book where there was a character who was uh, bigender, gender. So, bigender means that person, on some days, they felt like a man. So, they d- used to dress up like a man and uh, speak in a deeper tone of voice and preferred the pronouns he slash him. But on other days, they preferred to be as a woman. So, they used to dress up differently, have a different tone of voice, style their hair, wear makeup. So, that is also another concept of bigender. And we, as, uh, I mean, it's not covered in our mainstream media, right? It's yeah. not covered in the not covered in movies so we don't have any idea of how such people behave and it seems very uh, abnormal to us because we are so blinded by our uh, privilege our traditions and that is why uh, it is important to look beyond what is considered normal and actually seek out uh, artists and authors who are who identify as uh, say gender neutral or gender non-binary and then read their stuff, consume their content. And that will give you a lot of exposure to how actually the world is like and how the whole system has tried to blind us that such people don't exist. And it's only yeah. normal are cisgender and heterosexual. So that is something it's important because we are in 2021. We cannot hide behind the excuse that I did not know. It's okay if you don't know, but... If you don't know, you shouldn't judge also. You shouldn't consider someone as wrong and you as right just because you are not aware. So I think that is is something we should... We don't have the right to judge other people just because we don't know that their way of life is also normal. So I think that's... I hope, uh, I mean, it was a little bit more... It gave you a little bit more clarity.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for, you know, uh, talking about all the gender fluid concept and you know uh, non-binary gender things and i totally agree that a lot of things are either not covered by media or wrongly covered by our media right so a lot of times uh like i know uh let me make fun of uh let's say homosexuals in our tv shows in our you know movies uh, So, one of my friends is, you know, a homosexual. And she mentioned that, you know what, Friends is a really, really offensive show.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. And and I was like,
0: I I never even thought about it. Like, I have watched Friends so many times, four or five times. But you see, you know, people making fun of Chandler all the time that he is gay. And, you know, it's something that he should not be. Right. So... uh, Coming back to the point, uh, you mentioned that uh, it's okay and I totally, you know, like agree with your point. It's okay if you don't know yet, but if you are more accepting and you know, like uh, if you're more accepting in nature and obviously there are going to be assumptions that you are going to make because of your unawareness. But if you are considerate, if you know, you know, if there's something that you need to apologize for, if you offended someone unconsciously i think that works for us right
1: i mean it's not wrong to not know we're not supposed to know everything but if somebody gives you a different perspective you shouldn't be so you shouldn't hold on to your ideas so tightly that you can't even consider that a a different version of reality exists if you're willing to change your opinion it's fine because you, expect, you know, when you expect you to know everything, even I don't know it, so many things, you also don't know so many things. We're always yeah. learning. It's, it's important to be flexible in that sense.
0: So talking about flexibility and holding on to your opinions so, opinion so tightly, uh, so I have had some wrong experiences of toxic feminism in my childhood and for a really long time I refused to even acknowledge that you know there's a need of feminism or you know like uh, feminism is a real thing or it should be a real thing for a really long time because you know like I was a victim of you know like toxic feminism for a short amount of time but it was in my teenage years so I used to you know like blame and kind of pinpoint that you know what this is not feminism this is whatever So uh, talk, I want you, because you have written extensively about feminism or I have read a lot of feminism from you. Uh, What are the topics that people usually
1: get wrong about feminism? Okay. So first of all, uh, because of our privilege, because of the kind of people we interact with, many people have this idea that Just because women have separate compartments in metros, just because they have different lines, queues in ticket counters, they already have privilege. There is no need for feminism. That is what most people say. In college also, like, uh, we had different lines for girls, different queues for girls in the libraries and different queues for boys. So the guys used to tell us all, all the time that you people have so much privilege. Why do you need that? That is, that is okay. That is because as a uh, sort of well to do fairly well to do middle class women, we don't have to face what the people in the rural uh, communities have to face, right? That is one issue. And uh, regarding the separate queue thing, I don't want to talk about the queue thing, but regarding the separate metro uh, uh, compartment, yeah. thing, I was in Delhi for one year. And You know, right, as a woman from uh, Northeast, why I was so terrified to go to Delhi because we hear so much news about uh, sexual harassment and rape happening there, not just in Delhi, so many places. So in that time when I was in Delhi, having a separate compartment made me feel safe. Otherwise I would be, I wouldn't travel in a metro. But if I have a different bus for me, if I have a different compartment, it makes me feel safe. And I'm sure many women also feel that way, that, uh, having something that separate is, is giving them the sense of security because nobody can touch them there and nobody can uh, do something that they're not supposed to do there. So that is one thing. And uh, so your question was about toxic feminism, right? So the no, thing so is... My,
0: that- I'm sorry. My question was, you know, like, what are the things that are not... You know, people usually uh, take in a wrong way about feminism,
1: Okay, so this is one, right? Giving metro seats. That is one. people say that you already have it. There is no need to do it. Another thing is that uh, in my college, because I'm from an engineering college, when I was graduating, a lot of the companies, they had this policy of having 50% male-female sex ratio in the company, especially in corporate. Uh, So that time, what happened was that... uh, A lot of people raise this debate that how can you expect equal number of men and women in companies when actually in engineering and in science streams, there are less girls, right? Because in my batch, uh, there were 100 boys and only five girls. So if the companies had to give equal representation, they had to employ more girls, which was a little bit unfair for the boys because they studied so hard for this debatable topic and then we had we used to have a lot of debates on this in college and we came to this conclusion that rather than giving girls uh 50 opportunity now it's better if you give them that from the childhood like at school level at college yeah. level if you encourage people encourage females to study science to study engineering then over time there would be no need for companies to have reservation because the gender ratio will even out But that will take several years. It won't happen in 5-10 years. It will take 20-30 years for such a shift to happen. So till then, what is the option? Till then, the only option is to do these things by the companies that they are doing right 50%. So again, I think I diverted from the topic. So I don't know if this is relevant. It is
0: still relevant. And uh, I would definitely want to, you know, like uh, mention this part. Uh, I had that question too, that why do females get, you know, a separate metro compartment, you know, a separate uh, uh, compartment in metro. And I believe now that I think it from your viewpoint, I definitely agree that it's a good choice to have a different compartment. Yeah. yeah because
1: If I didn't have that option, I would have not travelled in a metro. And at that time, it was not possible for me to afford a cab. So I don't yeah. know how I would... Was- i have these ideas that it is unsafe for women so it's natural that i would want to protect myself so that is why having a metro compartment is very useful especially for young women who do not earn that much money that they can afford a cab or their own car
0: i understand and uh, my personal experience in education has been a uh, you know like totally opposite of yours so, I graduated as a biotechnologist where the ratio of, you know, females are really high. So, in a batch of 25 people, we were like four boys. Oh, so, okay. <laughs> so, I have like a totally different kind of upbringing in my education. Uh, what else is about feminism that people usually do not understand clearly?
1: Okay. So, you know, like people always. Something that I have faced in my life is that, uh, so in my uh, workplace, there is a colleague who is of the same age as me. And rest, everyone else is older because they already have their PhDs. So the thing is that people generally look at us as if we don't have much experience, which is true because we don't. We are still studying. We are still students, right? But the thing is that if that male colleague, say his name is X, So if X makes a mistake, then the senior authorities, they will say that, okay, X is careless. X made a mistake and they let it go. But there was a time when X and I, we made the same mistake. And when he did the mistake, they were like, okay, X is careless. Fine. But when I made the mistake, they had the generalization that, oh, women are careless. Women always make these mistakes. Women have other things on their mind. They are not serious about their jobs. And then I felt so wrong. This felt so wrong to me because this was something that I did. I I take full responsibility for the mistake, but it's not fair to generalize that all women have other things on their mind. That was something. And this is not just one incident. I have felt a lot of incidents like this, especially if you're a woman in technology, people always tend to make the assumption that women tend to memorize stuff. It has happened to me a lot in college, also in my job women they only study 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 they don't understand the concepts they only memorize stuff and that is how they get good marks or this is how they get good jobs but that is so unfair because I have so many female friends so many female colleagues I know a lot of them are super intelligent they are really smart and they have a lot of practical knowledge so it's totally unfair for anyone to say that women memorize stuff just because they might have seen one woman do it doesn't mean everyone does it So it feels that as a woman, whenever I achieve something, it feels that it's not just for me, but it's for other women who will come after me. So if they see that there is a woman, she's in a position of power, the young girls who look up to me, they will feel that, yeah, she is doing that. I can also do that. And it's also like, if I make a mistake, again, it comes to the whole of uh, women, like all the women, right? Because... If I make a mistake, people will not say Anansha made a mistake. They might say that women are like this, women do this, women do that. So that is like a whole, you're carrying a lot of responsibility on your shoulders, which can be good, it can be bad also. Uh,
0: So if we talk about the initiatives that you personally appreciate about feminism, one of them being, you know, like uh, separate metro compartments that even, you know, like five minutes from now you you know like I also appreciate Uh, what are the other initiatives that uh, you really appreciate about feminism that are already you know like practical or working in government, in world in your college, city, wherever
1: okay so one thing I really appreciate is that uh, the government has given 10% extra seats to women in IITs and NITs so that is like it's not At the cost of boys, they are adding 10% extra seats. And those are only for female students. I think that is very important because at my time, there were only five girls in a batch of 100. And if you count all these branches, there were total 600 students and only 43 girls, which is so bad. And we used to feel really oppressed because when you walk inside a class, we had a whole gallery sort of seating arrangement. So there are 100 boys sitting there and you just five girls, you walk in and if people shout or if they make comments, you feel very vulnerable, you feel very powerless. But in place of five girls, if there were 20 girls, maybe you do not have felt that way. And right now I'm seeing this in my students also that the girls in the first year, they are very comfortable, they are very confident, which we were not. We used to just Try to be invisible in our first year because we were so scared that someone might say something, they might make a comment, and at that time we were very young, 17, 18 years old. Right at that time, you don't have that yeah. idea that what they are doing is wrong. You feel that just because you are a girl, and if somebody makes a comment about you, it is your loss. You are going to be the worst uh, person here. So yeah. I used, I and my female friends, we just tried to just stay quiet and be as invisible as possible. But now. These girls that I see in college, they are not that way. They also talk freely. They answer questions in class. They also have male friends, which is also important, right? How can a society segregate the genders if you don't let them talk? But if you give women equal opportunities, I think they will start speaking up more. They will have more male friends. And overall, it will do the society good. Again, there will be some people who take unfair advantage of it. But that is true for any policy change you make, right?
0: yeah I, I, I totally agree what you're saying uh, So thank you so much for talking about this feminism topic because uh, I don't know how much it's going to help the viewer who is going to you know like watch or listen to this but I really wanted to talk about this because it's going to help me as a person and uh, anything that I you know like consider that is going to help me is probably going to help hundreds of other people too because obviously I'm going to write and talk about it a lot now. So uh, thank you so much for this uh, one thing. Uh, We are in this week of uh, Valentine's and uh, I'm pretty sure that I'm going to post it by today or tomorrow only. So we will still be in the week of Valentine's. Uh, What has been your number one or two, you know, learnings from relationships, your personal lessons? yeah check your voice uh, you're not audible
1: am i audible
0: now yeah yeah the voice was a little bit interrupted continue
1: so from relationships uh, there is this quote by maya angelo which i formally believe and it says that uh, don't make someone your priority if you are just an option so i think that is valid very valid, not just for romantic relationships, but for everything. Even if you're working for a company or a startup, if you are an option to them, you shouldn't make them your priority. That is one of the most important lessons that I feel is true. And another thing is that uh, in relationships, it is very important to draw boundaries. It is important to know what you don't like. And it's important to make your partner understand that this is not And it doesn't mean you love them less. But it's just who you are. And if they don't respect you for that, if they don't respect your boundaries, then maybe they are not the right person for you. So it is important to know when to say no. And it's also important to to know when to say yes. Because if you don't say yes, if you just leave them hanging, they are not mind readers, right? They cannot know what you want. You need to
0: speak up. You need to say what you
1: want need to say what you don't want both of these are equally important so yeah these are
0: my lessons so uh can can i share a little bit more about what you mentioned about the boundaries part so uh i'm I'm mentioning this because i guess recently uh, like a few days ago only i talked to someone about this part about boundaries one of my clients or it was in my webinar i don't remember so anyway uh boundaries is not for them boundaries is for us it's like you know you have a door in your home because that's your boundary like you are not uh, you know you are not welcomed here unless you are invited right so your boundary that you know what Uh, today I'm really tired and I want to sleep you know like this is a boundary and you know let's have a conversation tomorrow and let's talk tomorrow or something you know like that So if that's a boundary that you create, uh, I guess that counts as a boundary. Like Maybe not a regular boundary, but you know, an occasional boundary, right? Yeah, so uh, you you have the uh, decision to make that, how many times will you allow the other person to cross the boundary, right? So there's a famous Michael Scott quote from the office that fool me once, strike one, fool me twice, strike three. (laughs) So, uh, wait, wait a second, is it, uh, am I audible? Yeah. I'm no just audible. figuring that maybe my uh, earphone is making a beep sound. Mm-hmm. Anyway, you will just tell me if I'm not audible. So coming to the point, uh, there's a, a an activity that can help you, you know, create a boundary. It's, uh, it's communicating a uh, distinction between request and requirement. You know, a request is please do not throw your wet towel on my bed side, <laughs> you know, it's a request. Like, I'm not going to leave you if you, you know, continue doing that, but I, it's really important that you don't do it. I really appreciate cleanliness. A requirement is, you know, like uh, you and my partner is, like you, my partner is uh, going to opt for a job abroad. And I don't want to that to happen, you know. Like I don't want to live in a long-term relationship, and that might be a requirement for me. That if you, you know, like move abroad, uh, we are done. Like this is kind of a, you know, deal
1: breaker.
0: Deal breaker. Yeah. Thank you for the word. So, uh, communicating your request versus your requirement might be a really great way to, you know, uh, communicate your boundaries. Absolutely. Very Have great. you ever had a, a chance or a you know example that uh, you can remember about creating this kind of boundary like
1: a deal breaker versus a request yeah yeah um okay so i have a certain deal breakers i don't like people who are very narrow-minded even if it doesn't concern me so there was this one person i met who was very interesting i was really interested in that person But uh, he had a very uh, narrow view of religion that people of this religion are good and people of another religion are evil. It's not like they are not good. It's like they are completely evil and you should just stay away from them. And I don't know, even if that person was very attractive, I just couldn't tolerate this. It's not, we're not in a relationship. It was just we met once and I thought maybe I should try further, but this one thing that he was so narrow-minded about relationships that I knew that I cannot handle this too much. So I need, like, for someone uh, I need to consider as a partner, they have to be, you know, very open-minded about a lot of things and not very rigid with their beliefs.
0: I I totally uh, understand what you're saying. And personally, I have had this requirement or a deal-breaker kind of thing as well. That, uh, so I'm the kind of person who gets anxious and nervous when somebody shouts at them. So I, I you know, like even when I talk, I talk at a really, you know, uh, like probably at 20 hertz sound. Like, you know, the bare audible minimum that I can do. So I'm that kind of person who really appreciates, you know, peace and, you know, staying a little silent and that kind of a thing. So, when somebody shouts at me, it's kind of a really disturbing experience for me. Be it my corporate culture. I have actually quit a job just because, you know, like, my boss shouted at me twice in public when there was no requirement of shouting or, you know, doing anything. Uh, So, that's what exactly happened in my last relationship. You know, the girl I was dating. So, she shouted at me uh, and obviously there was a fight or, you know, like, again, her... uh, Communication language was shouting. I did not know it first. So the first time I, somebody shouts at me, I, you know, obviously become sad. And that's my kind of response. So that made her even more angry, which is, you know, <laughs> it was a really traumatic experience for me. So you gave someone one chance, you gave someone second chance, but like I mentioned, you will, uh, decide how many times you will let someone cross your boundary so for myself that was you know like strike uh, fool me twice strike three <laughs> so anyway coming back to point uh, because i know about your personal history and i don't know if you know like people know online about this or how much comfortable you are about telling whatever i'm going to ask or anything but I want to know about your experience with self-love.
1: Okay. My experience with self-love. Like, what exactly? Like, what exactly is your question? Uh, when
0: was the time when you found out that you are, you need to practice this? You need to get serious about self-love.
1: So, it's not like, you know, it's not a one-day thing that I need to yeah. get serious about self-love. It has happened in phases over the years, because obviously when I was young, I didn't have this whole concept of loving yourself for who you are. I always thought it's necessary to change yourself according to whatever environment you are in and uh, just mimic the people you are surrounded with and then you will be accepted, which is, is not is correct.
0: That, is, that right. also a, is that also a conditioning form for women in India?
1: It could be, it could be, especially women, because a lot of yeah. my female friends behave in that way. But my male friends, even from the first year of college, they had that clarity of thought that I am like this. I'm not going to change it. But I don't know, maybe it's a thing about gender that because women are in India are taught to be silent. They are taught to not have yeah. their own opinions and they are taught to, you know, conform to whatever is considered normal. So that is one thing. Maybe it was there. It, it was a I, have, condition.
0: I, have, I have seen this, you know, like uh, when people teach their daughters specifically that, you know what, you need to be flexible. You need to, you know, like let go a lot of things and you need to practice acceptance a lot with whatever may come. And that's how you will be successful in your marriage. Mm-hmm
1: that's true i mean even for uh, my personal like family history the women in my family are taught that being strong means how much you can endure so yes. your strength shouldn't be measured by your endurance right your strength can be measured by your uh, say how assertive you are and how unwilling you are to let anyone else tell you how to do things that can also be your version of strength right even self-love is a strength self-love is a way of fighting against the society who tries to put you down all the time that is also you being strong just your endurance of pain shouldn't (laughs) be the only criteria of measuring your strength but that is what like most of my uh, aunts and my even my mother they always they measure, they sort of measure their self-worth by how much they are able to work. And because the women in my family have careers, so it's like a, you know, game that how good they can be. It's like, you know, they are sort of taught to uh, work as if they have no family. And they are taught to be a mother and a wife as if they have no job. So it's like, give your 100% at both without expecting anything from anyone else that is such a wrong portrayal right so again this was not your question your question was about (laughs) self-love so yeah self-love it came to me with time with experience with age and uh, with the realization that if you don't love yourself enough now it doesn't matter because no one else will love you as much as you can love yourself So you cannot depend on other people to give you happiness that has to come from within. If you have that void, if you have that emptiness inside you, you can't expect that happiness from another person, a job, a relationship, a friend. You need to bring that from yourself. So that is how I think that is when this realization came to me that you need to be uh, very rock solid in your beliefs. And it doesn't matter if you are good or bad, because these are, again, very gray areas. There is no strict definition yeah. of good or bad. But you need to yeah. accept you as you are. Even with what you consider are your flaws, you need to accept them. And then you need to move on with life. Keeping these in mind, you can't ignore them. You can't pretend to be someone you are not and then expect to love yourself. To actually love yourself, you need to really be self-aware also. I think journaling helps a lot in being self-aware and in yeah. reflection. So, uh, I, I have this
0: one theory. I don't know if I've read somewhere or it's my personal theory. I don't know that, but uh, you know, there are three kinds of relationships that we have as individuals. One in one, the first relationship is with strangers. The second relationship is with closed ones, and the third relationship is with ourselves. And I'm a really firm believer in uh, what, how you do anything is how you do everything. So if you are not kind and compassionate with yourself, you will not be kind and compassionate in public or with your parents or with your partner or you know, with your kids or whatever.
1: Really
0: likewise, likewise, if you have a habit of being really hard on yourself, you will also have less empathy in public.
1: Very true, yeah. And I've seen that in myself. So uh,
0: thank you for sharing that. And okay, this is going to be a little, uh, you know, personal maybe. Have you had any experience with therapy?
1: Okay, so I have had experience with therapy, but most of it was like all of it was online. I have never been to a therapist or a counselor in person. I've only talked to them through online. I mean, through apps. that matter. Uh, I'm just making it clear so that okay, I'm
0: sure. Just
1: making it clear. So, I have had calls, I've had video calls, and uh, th- my therapists often give me a lot of exercises to do, like journaling exercises and reflection exercises. So, yeah, I think therapy helps you a lot in getting clarity of your thoughts and uh. You don't have to feel like you are alone in your journey because sometimes you can't share your feelings with the people you know. But if you share it with someone who has practice in dealing with situations like this, it can help you a lot. And especially someone who doesn't judge you. So normally people in real life, you can't expect everyone to be perfect, right? There might be some bias, some judgment coming in, but with a therapist that is not there. So that definitely has helped a lot.
0: So now you talked about you know like you have not done any uh, therapy sessions in you know person. Uh, I also realized like all of my sessions have been online. Although I have met a therapist, you know my therapist like once or twice, uh, like for a cup of coffee or something. Okay, just to have a conversation or because you know like I, I I wanted to catch up with them or something. But all of my sessions have also been on you know in Zoom or something. And I believe there's a really thin line between Zoom and in-person now. Now that 2020 happened. It doesn't make a
1: difference, exactly. The te- technology is blurring the lines, right? So yeah. Doesn't-
0: and uh, I wanted to also mention this thing. So uh, I took therapy. I started taking therapy in 2016 when you know I was going through a really, really tough time and I was having anxiety issues. I was probably borderline depressed and I haven't i did not become vocal about it you know like for the first two years or so because i was always afraid you know like again about the stereotypes and you know the preconceived notions and the judgments and everything but now you know uh, like i come to a phase when i have you know like my daily habits that uh, are helping me you know regulate my emotions and my thoughts and everything so i don't need therapy per se okay But then again, I am being regular with my therapy like once in three, four months. Because I get someone to talk to, you know, uh, where I don't have to think twice, like what I'm talking or, you know, uh, are they going to judge me? Or is it safe? Is it confidential? Or what if they tell someone? Plus, I have never, so I have, you know, like gone through, I have talked to like four, five therapists so far and I'm probably going to do a video with one of them. Uh, I never found a therapist who was not considerate, compassionate, or, you know, who questioned or judged me. It's kind of, you know, a prerequisite when you're becoming a coach or a therapist that you will not be judging people. You will be making them comfortable so they can open up. And I believe uh, one of my uh, goals, of whatever I do is, you know, like making therapy and coaching really, really, you know, like a normal thing
1: that's really noble. And we have so much of uh, what should I say, mental blocks. Because in India, yeah. there is this concept, right? If somebody is going to therapy, that means hai. that's there, yeah, right? yeah. It's crazy. yeah, it's crazy. So, crazy I- is not. What what does crazy mean? There are so many issues one can have of the brain. I don't even know why we use this word crazy. It's not a word. It should be a good word, in fact, that I'm crazy about writing or I'm crazy about this movie. Why is it a bad word? It doesn't make sense.
0: So, uh, you know, I I will come back to the point again where, you know, we talked about non-binary genders that this is how, you know, uh, our media what, you know, we see in movies and TV shows. So I'll give credit to the Zindagi movie, which was a really good movie, like talking about cinematic experience and everything. But nonetheless, it talked about, you know, the making therapy a normal thing. So that gave, you know, like a good movement kind of thing in our country. While we see, you know, uh, Obviously, I I would rather not talk about how we make fun of therapy or, you know, people taking therapy or people being homosexuals or, you know, everything. But yes, I believe the more we talk about it, the more we normalize this, the better it's going to be for all of us in a collaborative way. Very true. And uh, this will be a collective uh, consciousness. That's what I guess Eckhart Tole and uh, uh, Thich Nhat Hanh. So he's a, B- a Vietnamese Buddhist monk. So uh, these spiritual teachers talk about this, you know, collective awakening. You know, like, for example, uh, women work now. Like, I, I'd say 70-80% women work, you know. As in, they go to schools or colleges. Let's consider that. that, uh, Education of women are maybe 70-80% normal now. Which is a huge advancement comparing to where it was 100 years ago.
1: Very true, yeah.
0: And I believe this media and, you know, us talking is how we can bring a change.
1: That's very true. The more conversations we have, the more normal it will become. And less stigmatized people will feel talking
0: about it and i I want to talk about this thing that do you believe that creatives are those kind of people who are kind of blessed with more mental health issues (laughs) (laughs) it's again you know it's a kind of a what do you say like this is a normal term that you know people use elizabeth gilbert mentioned this in her talk as well that you know like if you're a mentor you're supposed to eat off your ear or if you're yeah. a writer you should be d- drunk at 1 p.m in your home
1: so you know there is a quote I don't remember who said it but it says that to be a poet you either have to be in love or you have to be heartbroken so I don't know if it's true or not but yeah I mean I guess it's true because uh, mental health issues a lot of it comes with empathy i would say uh, you know connecting to someone on a deep level feeling their sadness and also worrying that you might project your sadness to someone else that is also a part of empathy right so i think being a creative i think that's a prerequisite that you need a lot of empathy and when you have empathy, it's very difficult to take care of your mental health because you are so connected to every emotion, every feeling, every person. Even in inanimate in objects, right? Like you feel strongly about veganism. So you feel strongly about not hurting animals. I feel very strongly about not hurting the planet, uh, not using plastic and all that. So as creative, I think that empathy can be our enemy it can also be our best friend and again it's very important to draw boundaries so that uh, there is this word right called compassion fatigue where you feel you are so you feel so much compassion that you feel fatigued it's it's also called secondhand stress I guess because it's not your stress it's somebody else's but you are feeling it so I would say yes to your question that maybe creatives are also more they suffer more but it's important to draw boundaries also if you want to lead a happy life because nobody wants to be depressed just because they want to be a creative, right?
0: Uh, first of all, I did not know there is a word, you know, the uh, compassion fatigue or, you know, the second degree stress. I'll check second out degree. more. Uh, I, I have, whatever you mentioned, it gave me kind of a feeling, a vibe that, you know, a uh, If I have to reword my previous sentence, I'd say that uh, specifically creatives, they need to be a little more uh, attentive for their mental health.
1: Very true. Absolutely agree with that.
0: And uh, what do you suggest? What kind of habits should they follow?
1: Okay. So first of all, you need to detach yourself from your work Like it has happened to me also, like when I was reading a book, something that uh, I feel really connected to a character. And then I used to feel sad, although nothing in my life was happening sad. So even when you're writing, like I have experienced this, like when I was writing my book, I didn't publish it yet. So it's still unfinished. So when I was writing my book, I was feeling so connected to my character that even though my life was going okay, i was feeling very sad because of the things that were going on in her life so it's important to draw boundaries i wish i could tell you how but i think the only thing is that you shouldn't let your art consume you maybe you can compartmentalize your brain that this thing is not real it is it is real but it's happening only because of my art it's not happening to me and then what happens in your real life, you should consider that as separate that. This is real life. It's not It's, not like I'm, it's not something that I created. So uh, I think on a, I a, that makes
0: sense. On a related note, uh, do you think that it's being a little over-romanticized, the idea, you know, getting consumed by your art? Uh,
1: what do you mean over-romanticized?
0: Like, you know, uh, like that writer is so... Uh, passionate or that writer is so philosophical or that philosopher is, you know, this kind of person doesn't have time to shave. So (laughs) that's a a really, you know, like a silly uh, example, but we usually, you know, like give examples of those people who, you know, just to romanticize the whole notion of being too, you know, like non-balancing the stuff or being too intense with their work. For example, we see only a few people who work who strictly work seven hours a day but we kind of worship Elon Musk because he works so much or you know like again he has a different result and productive in everything but I have seen this personally that you know we romanticize the idea of being so intense and you know like uh, or maybe it's because you know uh, balancing stuff is not that kind of uh, you know it will not give you a hype. Balancing stuff is, you know, kind of a mellow thing and you can't write about it or you can't talk about it a lot. But I have seen this, that, you know, that Van Gogh was the painter, I guess, you know, who chewed his ears. And yeah. there are people who would, you know, like uh, kill themselves based on their arts and all that stuff. Do you think we romanticize the idea a little bit more than we need to?
1: Yeah, I think that's true because the current hustle culture of today is no. that you need to work all the time uh, no matter what you do if you are uh, if you are resting you need to earn earn that rest if you haven't earned it you don't deserve it so i think that's not true because it's it's important right to have that balance and uh, you cannot create all the time even as a creative you need to consume also and you need to be free you need to let your mind wander you need to Daydream a lot. If you are too much all the time, you're thinking about creating new stuff or working. Then how will new ideas come to your head? I I learned this concept from you only because I think you told me once that if your mind is clear, then you are freeing up space for signals from the universe. So. Those are what you call these aha moments, right? Those creative sparks that you get. And if your head is always filled with, I need to do this, I need to do that, then how will you get that creative ideas? I have also faced similar things. Like, you know, when I'm really worried that I need to make money, I need to write something, I don't get ideas. But when I'm just sitting and just looking at the trees and just, just existing, I get a lot of interesting ideas. And it's not just one idea. I get a series of ideas that, oh, I can do this, I can do that. And that helps a lot. So, you know, being, not doing anything is also a great way of uh, taking care of yourself, I would say.
0: I guess I read it in your yesterday's post only that, you know, when you're in supermarket, try not to look at your phone. Yeah, don't look at your phone. Yeah, it yeah was tell, me... T- t- tell me about it. Talk
1: a so, little bit about that. So I, uh, like, a few days back, my father was in the hospital. He had an operation. Now he's back home. So I spent a lot of time in the hospital. And my urge was that I need to take out my phone and scroll. scroll. But then I consciously kept it down. I consciously didn't take my phone. And I just observed people. I was watching people, I was thinking stuff, I was rewinding what I read, and I got some really great ideas. In fact, that article that you read yesterday, it was in Better Humans, that article idea also came to me when I was in the hospital only. And I also got some ideas for a new digital product, which I'll hopefully launch soon. So all of that came to me because I was bored. So I think being bored is super important to be really creative.
0: And yes, I believe that's what I needed to hear (laughs) and I've been practicing, you know, like again, I'm not being really hard on myself that stop, you know, screens all the time and, you know, doing that stuff. I have started this for the past 20, 30, 40 days now that uh, I don't look at my phone the very first thing when I wake up. So I I sit up, I do, you know, a little bit of breathing, meditation or whatever. And I do, uh, I, you know, just mentally, I think about what do I need to do today, Uh, you know, a few points necessary, then I do a little bit of stretch, then I go to washroom, then because I'm at home now, I have a dog. So I go to, you know, like I open my door and uh, I play with my dog for a few minutes. So when I wake up, and when I touch my phone, there is a gap of at least 15 minutes. And that has helped me a lot. And, you know, like in my mental state, in my otherwise health. And I guess I would want to increase that amount and use that space to bring more ideas, maybe.
1: Yes, yeah, definitely. it's
0: a great way so, to welcome ideas. Yes, yes. And uh, let me see. So all the topics I have <laughs> written, uh, you know, that I wanted you to cover. What are your personal routine and habits that you really, really, you know, find useful?
1: (laughs) Okay, so one of these habits, again, I have learned from you, is that when you're having a meal, don't look at your phone or don't read a book. Earlier on, I used to watch something on Netflix or uh, read a book on my Kindle. But now I have stopped doing that. I at least do, like, again, I learned this from you that at least one meal I don't do anything. I just eat and I chew my food and uh, I just, you know, thank the food for giving nourishment to my body. This is again a concept I learned from one of your modules. Which one was that email module? I think it was Daily Gratitude, right? Uh,
0: probably the Gratitude Lifestyle or the Mind Clarity Project. It was one of them. I remember, is yeah.
1: Gratitude Lifestyle, definitely. <laughs> because I remember. So that is something I try to do. It has... Uh, it, it, it helps a lot. I mean, it, it's also a form of, I would say, meditation because you are one with your surroundings and you're not, your mind is not anything else. You are just not thinking anything, right? Consciously emptying your mind. That is one habit that has helped. Again, uh, earlier on, I used to do a lot of social media scrolling. Like my Instagram time was two hours every day. So I have reduced that. Now it is about 40 minutes, which is better than before. I'm trying to improve that. I'm trying to bring it to less than 30 minutes. Let's see how it goes. That is one. And uh, another thing that really gives me a lot of motivation is that whenever I'm working out, I just, you know, tell myself all these things. You can call them affirmations or these are like positive thoughts that, you know, my body is like water. I can flow in whatever direction I want. I can do anything I want to do today. These things actually help you a lot. I mean, they don't sound like much, but especially if you practice them every day, especially in the morning, you feel really good about yourself and you feel like you can do just about anything. So this is a- another habit. Apart from that, I would say again, uh, writing 10 ideas every day has literally changed my life. So I would keep doing that always, no matter what. So yeah, these are the small habits that have helped me. Oh, another thing is uh, not sitting down while working. If I stand and work, I get more ideas. And it's also good for the body, right? It burns calories, helps in metabolism. So, yeah, these are the habits.
0: So, you mentioned that, you know, these are small ideas and they might not look too much. But uh, I have seen this over and over and over again because I have worked a lot on my habits only, you know, like on my and my clients' habits. Obviously, (laughs) yeah, I'm a habit coach. Obviously, so uh, we try to look out for you know like secrets or you know uh something magical or you. But the most big things, right? But what I've seen is any goal you have, no matter how big or how small or how medium it is, it's going to happen only with really small habits. Very true. And those Dating small me. habits, you know, again, like uh, waking up at not looking at your phone for the first five, 10 minutes or before sleeping, you know, like just closing your eyes and reflecting how your day was. Right. And uh, like then again, having that uh, idea that it's okay to feel bored. You don't have to feel entertained. You know, have a dopamine every time. And maybe that's how your ideas will come. So uh, thank you so much for sharing everything. And I really love the conversation. Uh, before we go, uh, where do you want someone to connect with you? How can they reach out to you? I'll also put out the link in the description box. But sure. tell me one platform.
1: Okay. LinkedIn, because I'm really active on LinkedIn these days. Amazing. Also, because I post, I treat Twitter like my online journal. I just say everything that's on my head. But mostly LinkedIn, that's where I'm always, I check it every day. So
0: Amazing. So uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put the link in the description. And I'm also going to, uh, you know, put a link in uh, description for your medium profile, because that's where all of like 90% of your magic happens. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for watching this. If you have any questions to for Anansha, you can put down in comments and I'll make sure that she answers. <laughs> okay, then we'll catch up again soon. Bye-bye.